1978 episode, the dogs implode off the field. However, they have some big wins on the field. The swamp fox has things humming at St Kilda. That is, until the animals are unleashed. The Bombers pick up a great trade deal from the Swans and the Lions win some silverware for the first time in a long time. All this and more, coming up after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules football history podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We've got no real qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive better times and lots of books. My name's Tim, I've got Charlie over here. Oh, hello Timmy. 78. as As a Melbourne supporter, I don't think I am reliving better times, but in general, better times. Yes, you're probably true there. Actually, yeah. <laughs> um, so 1978, we're talking about making our way towards the end of the uh, 70s now. Unbelievable! What a time it is. Um, so, hello, listeners in Sweden, India, Iran, Poland, and New Zealand. Oh my gosh, we're getting all over the place. Huge. Yeah. Now it's going to be a big year to me because 77. I mean, there's not many bigger years in terms of VFL. Right? No, it's an the drawn one. grand final. Massive. Alan Aylett taking over the That's league. That's right. Yeah, lots of big changes, which is... Things are in the... Things are coming. The winds have changed. The winds have changed, definitely. Um, let's get to some history first. Oh, yes. Song of the Year for you is a little number named... Called You're the Wonder That I Want from Greece. It was number one for nine weeks and was topped, toppled by Boney M's Rivers of Babylon for six weeks. And then it came back and was number one for another nine weeks. Really? You're the one that I want. Wow. Yeah. Huge. 18 oh. weeks number one in Australia. And, I mean, it's still right up there if you're talking Absolutely. karaoke songs. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, all right, let's get stuck into it. So, this year, just to just go through some sporting news, I think, you know, as we've seen. Uh, apart from this one, uh, first thing there, we had the 50th Academy Awards. I remember talking about the very first Academy Awards. It doesn't feel like that long no, ago. Doesn't, doesn't. Uh, the best picture was won by Annie Hall this year. On the 15th of February, we had Leon Spinks beating Muhammad Ali. Uh, then uh, That doesn't happen very often. No, no, there's not too many people, only no. five. Okay. And only yeah. five people beat Muhammad Ali in his career. But in September, they had a rematch, Jimmy, and Muhammad Ali won, regaining the title for the third time. Okay. The first man to do it. Okay. And maybe only still. Not sure. Not a boxing man. No. Uh, on the 5th of May, we had Pete Rose of the Cincinnati Reds getting his 3,000th Major League hit. Is he in the Hall of Fame yet? Not sure. That was, that was a big contentious thing, wasn't it? Pete Rose getting in the Hall of Fame, was yeah, it? I think so. I don't remember. Okay. Um, this year, we also had Bjorn Borg and Martina Navratilova winning Wimbledon, the uh, men's and women's singles titles, respectively. Uh, we had Jack Nicholas, the Golden Bear, winning the Masters and the British Open uh, in this year, his 11th and 12th majors. In the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl, beating the Denver Broncos 27 to 10. 
Uh, and in the NBA, we had the Washington Bullets at the time, Timmy, beating the Seattle Supersonics. Um, and then in the NHL, we had uh, a rematch of the same teams of the previous season, the Montreal Canadiens uh, and the Boston Bruins. And again, the Montreal Canadiens came out on top four games to two. Um, and then we also had Ian Botham becoming the first man in the history of the game to score a century and take eight wickets in one innings of a test match. Against who? Uh, doesn't, I don't know, actually. I'll check that one. Uh, we also had Arwen winning the Melbourne Cup. Uh, some births for you, Timmy? Yes, please. Um, we had on the 4th of January, Paul Lecuria. The 16th of April, Matty Lloyd. Uh, the 30th of June, Ben Cousins. On the 22nd of September, we had Harry Kuehl. And the 25th of October, the big Shervo, Matt Shervington. The big Shervo. <laughs> so there you go. Lovely. All right, so 1978. Here's some news from the league first. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. 1978, I'm not sure if it was the first season that had this, but that was the season that was. Yeah. Is available for 1978. Massive. Which is a yearly promotion, a yearly show that the VFL or Channel 7 would put out, summarising the whole whole season. So I was able to watch that to get information for this. Amazing. Show. Um, I'm not sure if that was the very first one, but it's definitely available on YouTube. 79's not there. Oh, so it's a bit sporadic. Yeah, so yeah. whether it was on or not, it probably wasn't. It just hasn't been found again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure. Always a good, good, uh, good watch. Um, the 19th and 20th players were now interchangeable. You could take them on and off. No interchange of players was permitted once the game commences without notifying the steward. Okay. Changes can take place during intervals, as long as the interchange steward is advised before play recommences. During intervals, does that mean? Quarter breaks, I guess so. Or yeah, both. anytime there's a bounce, gotta, I think you just got to ball comes out. You've got to notify a steward anytime, okay? Yeah, but I wonder what the yeah, the definition of interval mm. must mean. I mean, you're obviously at this stage not able to make changes during the play of the game. Mm. Well, you can during the play, yeah, and no, as in like just during the the game as it's being played. I mean, like it's saying the game must have must be at a stop if it's during an interval, so whether that means qu a quarter break. Or maybe it is like after a goal, after a point. No, if just the ball's any, gone any time. Out. Just as long as they, as long as they notify the steward, they're changing. Oh, over. okay. Yep. Um, the other innovation they introduced was the when a ball touches the goalpost, the goal umpire will touch the nearest goalpost with his hands to signify the point, and the field umpire will signal all clear. Oh, yes. Two goal flags will be located on the right-hand goalpost and one flag on the left-hand goalpost. Is that still the way it is? Probably. Yeah. I don't know. That's all the league news I've got. Um, lots of machinations happening off field and changes to the way the league's running, but I don't, I don't want to go too much into that because no. it's very dense. Yep, and also, but that's huge. In, an interchange, oh, an yeah. actual moving interchange, yes. is massive yes. for the game. See what what that uh, see what that does for scores. That'll be interesting. very interesting as interesting, time goes on. Yes, but obviously at this time, and and we've seen it a few times, like changes in the rules, they happen, but then they're not used the same way they currently are. Like I would imagine at this time when it's just come in, interchanges would be used very rarely. Yeah. yeah, very sparingly. Yeah, because being on the bench was always such a negative thing. I know, I know. Yeah, exactly. And now it's like 
finally Everyone get me off for a minute and take yeah. it and give me a rest. So let's work our way up the ladder, Julie. Let's do it. Um, it pains me to start this list, unfortunately. Uh, but right down the bottom in 12th spot are those not-so-mighty demons anymore. Uh, with five wins and 17 losses and a percentage of 69.1. Very ugly year from the Ds. This year captained by Greg Wells and coached by Dennis Jones. Yeah, so Jones taking over from Skilton who exited, obviously. Um, yes. Coming straight off the committee as well. Yeah. He brought fellow Norm Smith era players in Ian Thorogood, Colin Wilson and Tony Bull as, as uh, his assistants. So they're trying to, trying to get back into the heyday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some debutants include Ken Whitford, Peter Thorne, David Code, Gary Cook, um, and Midnight All singer Peter Garrett. Oh, good is, on is him! Well. Getting out there, beautiful. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not really him, but it's <laughs> um, they lost their first game round two. Though Dave, Dennis Jones was relieved to rack up his first winner's coach, and it was the second quarter that really gave his side the platform for victory. Ten goals eight to the Lions, three goals four they kicked blowing them away, earning them a standing ovation from the members as they left the ground. Oh, that's what you want. When they kicked the first three goals in the third quarter and stretched the lead to 11 goals, it looked impossible for the Lions to hit back. However, a drastic reshuffle of the Lions lineup helped them to kick eight goals in 16 minutes, and by midway through the last quarter, the Lions were within three points. Demon Reserve Andrew Moir, M-O-I-R, Moir? 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 Came off the bench to kick one goal and set Greg, Greg Wells up for another one to steady the Demons and give them a 10-point win. Phew. <laughs> another win was achieved in round four against a distracted Footscray side. At halftime, it looked like the Ds were going to have it easy. They were leading you know, 10 goals up or so. But like the Lions game, the Dogs mounted the third quarter fight back and they nearly won the game. They kicked 13 goals, three to the Melbourne 7-12. Ted Whitten Jr. kicked four goals in the last quarter and the Dogs got close, but... Ran out of time. The D's holding on to win by seven points. Thank really God. Flirting with danger here. Yeah. Round seven, the signs looked good against the Cats early when the Demons' Henry Coles kicked four goals in the first nine minutes, helping his side to lead by over five goals at quarter time. Coles dominated around the packs and was ably assisted by Greg Wells and Barry Norsworthy in the middle. Robbie Flower marshaled the wing and the Cats were behind by 34 points. The D's dominated all day and built up a 57-point lead early in the last quarter. However... Mm. Inexplicably, the Cats racked up 44 points to nil in the next 13 minutes, and the biggest comeback in history was a chance. As the Cats charged back into the game in the last quarter, coach Dennis Jones abandoned the box and coached from the boundary. He lamented the lack of experience in his side, saying, if we had lost the game, I would have cut their throats. But he saved his best for the umpires, with whom he was furious, for the interpretation of the tackling rules. He said, I'm going to keep talking about them, bugger them. Hey, okay. Uh, Dees won the game by 13 points. Melbourne won $5,000 from a sponsor who put the money up as a winner-take-all prize as well. And I'm sure the league had to speak to Dennis Jones about his outburst. They don't like people speaking ill of umpires. No. In round 14, another heavy loss to the Dogs uh, was suffered. However, in a deliberate attempt to keep players' spirits up, Charlie, Dennis Jones instructed his players to sing the theme song in the visitors' room after the game. The players, understandably, found it hard to muster the enthusiasm yeah. for the idea considering they had just suffered their eighth loss of the year by more than 10 goals. It seems not really something that's going to keep your spirits up, that, is it? No. Uh, round 19, they had a 113-point loss to North Melbourne, 
However, a week later, they bounced back in round 20 at Windy Hill against Essendon to score their first win since round seven. So a bit of a drought there. Early on, it didn't look good as Essendon took the early lead, but the Ds hit back. Robbie Flower put his nomination for goal of the year in during the second quarter when his mazy run from the halfback line wound up with him on his own in the goal square. Half-back line to the goal yeah. square. Despite, wow. <laughs> despite his heroics, Essendon took the lead back going into half-time. The match stayed close for the rest of the day until the final siren sounded with the Ds at goal in front. That's a good bounce back from a big 113-point loss. Yeah, it certainly is. Round 21, having won their first match for five months a week before, the Demons turned to the role of spoilers in destroying the Swans' chances of making the finals. <laughs> Tom Flower, brother of Robbie, was on the wing and Barry Norsworthy went from Rover into the middle with the winning moves made by Jones. These by 21. The coach could barely contain his glee in the rooms after the match, especially considering there was a reform group who were out before the game handing out leaflets, demanding changes at the Demons and within the administration. Already? Well, this is round 21 now, so... But like after changing coach... Oh, oh no, yeah. sorry, administration, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he was gleefully stomping on their literature <laughs> while uh, celebrating in the rooms after the match. Good on him. Um, but all wasn't well off. The field supporters were scathing in letters and phone calls to the club and chairman Jim Mitchell said, I don't suppose I can blame them. Even coach Jones admitted there were five players in his team that weren't up to standards. Uh, by conceding over 100 points in 20 of the 22 matches, they set a record. And now at the end of the Even season... Even the ones they won. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. At the end of the season when Wayne Reid replaced John Mitchell as club president, he promised a review of all coaching positions. And within three weeks, Dennis Jones was out of a job. Yeah. One year into a two-year contract. He claimed to have resigned, but no, he was yeah. pushed. Melbourne were desperate to appoint Lee Matthews as playing coach. Yeah. They approached him illegally in the eyes of the Hawks, who reported them to the VFL. So then they set their eyes on Carl Ditterich. Um, the Hawks also refused permission for Melbourne to interview John Kennedy for the job as well. How can they refuse? Well, he's on the, I think he was on the contract still with the Hawks. Uh, okay. I remember he left to, yeah. to, to look after his family, so... Yeah, I think they still had contractual rights over John Kennedy. Yeah, okay, interesting. So yeah, not all, not all much good down there at the D's, is no, it? No, no. Especially when you've got you know, reform clubs coming in. It's after a year, and like, yeah, as we said, you look at that percentage, I mean, I think five games they won, they kind of squeaked. And they're what, 21 points, 21% behind the next best team. Yeah, not ideal. Next worst team. Next <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah uh, well, now well. Oh, sorry. Let's uh, let's hear. So, who kicked the most goals for the D's this year? It was Henry Coles with thirty-three, and the Bluey Truscott Award in nineteen seventy-eight. Surprise, surprise. No, it went to Gary Baker. Sorry, not I was as would have just assumed it was Robbie Flower, but it wasn't. It went to <laughs> Gary Baker. Don't think I mentioned him once, did I? Hmm. Oh. Greg Wells second. Uh, so moving up the ladder to 11th spot, we have the Doggies, Footscray, with seven wins, 15 losses, and as you said, a nice 21% higher, 90.6%. Captained by Gary Dempsey and coached by Billy Goggin. Yeah, some interesting debutants as well I've got for us. So Terry Wheeler, a future, cat, a future coach, Don Henwood, Robert Gwernerwagen, Angelo Tantis, Tantis, Wayne Fox, Phil Bradmore, Mick Egan, Tony Fox, the two names you might know, Doug Hawkins, and another one called Brian Wilson, who I didn't realise actually played for the Dogs. No. So, well, let's start with Brian Wilson then. So, very much a journeyman I only, know, I only know him as a Demons player. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, he started the Dogs in 78, 
And uh, early in his career, he played in the centre and later became a forward pocket. He moved to North Melbourne as well and then to the Demons where he had a great 1982 and he finished with St Kilda in 1991. Wow. So four, no, five clubs. No, four. Four, four clubs, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to it. Great man of foot, foot's great, Dougie Hawkins. 180 centimetres, half forward slash midfielder from Braybrook. Hawkins was blessed with all the essential skills to be a great footballer and known almost universally as the Hawk. He made his debut this year in 78 and over the next few years he began to make a name for himself as one of the finest wingers the game's ever seen. Uh, so much so that at the team's home ground, the Western Oval, the outer wing of the ground was named the Dougie Hawkins wing. And if you don't know Dougie Hawkins as a footballer, you know him from the great uh, times. He, the great, yeah, the pizza ads, his time on the footy show. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, a great man. Now, the Dogs were dealing with internal struggles at the administration level, with morale among the club officials low and many resignations had occurred since new president Collison had taken office. The players were sick of this and in December threatened to strike, led by their captain at the time, Laurie Sanderlands, who eventually quit after clashing with the president over the way the club was treating the players. So internal struggle means they're not going to do very well on field. Usually, that's what happens. There was a bit of a clean-out of players as well. 100-game wingman Dennis Collins was cleared to Carlton. Bernie Quinlan eventually left. Ray Huppatz went to the Ruse, so losing some players as well. Wow. Um, round one, the Dogs were led out by their newest recruit, a pedigree bulldog named Scragger. <laughs> nice. However, the Dogs were smashed to the tune of 69 points by the Ruse. Then, six days later, Charlie, a bombshell was dropped. Their coach, Billy Goggin, quit. Huge. Saying, I feel by making the move now, it's been done reluctantly. It may force others to follow. I feel the club is going nowhere. I'm not prepared to be the scapegoat for the lack of administration and recruiting. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, he also accused the club of selling its best players to avoid financial embarrassment. Which, I mean, when you look at some of those players they've lost, I can see that. Yep. Uh, so round two, Ted Witten shared coaching duties with reserves coach Don McKenzie against St Kilda, who only beat the Dogs by seven points. Around this time, the players passed a motion of no confidence in the board. So Ted Whitten stepped down as vice president, not, you know, trying to do the right thing, while Len Hunter led a campaign to oust President Dick Collison. In round five, the Dogs triumphed by 17 points, turning a 17-point three-time deficit around. It was their first victory of the year. Templeton with four. Wayne Foreman was also prominent. Their second win was in round nine against the Lions, although the Dogs gave them an eight goals of four head start and then held them goalless for a long stretch in the middle two quarters. The Dogs were able to take the lead during this time, and although the Lions got out again to an eight-point lead, the last four goals of the game saw the Dogs win by 25 points. In round 10 at Western Oval, Carlton led the Dogs by as much as 53 points late in the second quarter before captain coach Jeselenko went off with a leg injury. From there, Footscray seemed to lift and stormed over the top of the Blues. Kelvin Templeton's nine goals against Carlton's Jeff Southby was a superb effort. Templeton was well held in the first half but cut loose in the second half and was unbeatable. The Doggies overran the Blues in the last quarter with an eight-goal blitz to win by 21 points. Around 12, the Dogs travelled to Arden Street to take on the Roos and took it right up to the reigning Premiers who couldn't deal with the Dogs' defensive pressure. And although the, although the crowd expected a second-half revival, Witten and Stoneham got the Dogs further ahead. Templeton was on fire late, finishing with seven. He beat two opponents, Ross Glendening and Phil Baker. The Dogs winning this by five goals. But Charlie, the big game for the Doggies this year was round 13 at the Western Oval against St Kilda. They were playing happy and playing above themselves. Started off very well, a, a uh, sign of things to come. Kelvin Templeton had a goal within the first minute, 
and really set the standards of the game. Nice. The team was firing well and not receiving too much opposition. They led by one point at the first break, but by half-time that had blown out to 43. Uh, at three-quarter time, it was 44. And at this stage, Calvin Templeton kicked seven goals seven, including Oof. lots of points in the third quarter due to cramps. So he was almost going to go off at three-quarter time, but the coach said, you know, leave him on, give him time to get back into the game, and boy, did he. As the ball was swept out of the centre to him, he kicked eight goals for the quarter to finish the match with 15 goals nine. Oh, my God. Which the record should be rec- his. That is a record for shots on goal. Yeah. Of course it yeah. could not be. Yeah. 24 shots on goals, a VFL-AFL record. Um, he actually took a mark late in the game to kick his 15th goal. Before he could kick it, hundreds of kids rushed the ground. So they had to clear them all off so he could take his kick. He took his kick and they all ran back on. <laughs> um, they had to get them all off and finish the last two minutes of the game. Then the crowd came on again. The team kicked 12 goals four in the final quarter. Um, Templeton's teammate Ian Dunstan kicked seven goals so their combined tally of 22 goals between them is a record for two players on one side Charlie the final score being Footscray 33 goals 15 213 to St Kilda 16 goals 10 106 Footscray winning by 107 points oh huge I mean that's massive considering St Kilda have also kicked over 100 points yeah that's a big... Uh, what a, what big a game. game. Yeah. And you can actually see footage of that on uh, YouTube as well. Footscray Mayor Kelly, Kelly uh, invited Templeton to Town Hall and announced him mayor for the night and presented him with robes and a chain of office <laughs> to celebrate. Uh, in round 14 against the Demons, it was another second half fade out by the Demons that saw the Doggies take this game. The Demons fell in a hole in the third quarter, earning just 36 kicks and kicking two points Ooh. against the Doggies' seven goals one. Shane Grambo held the deadly Calvin Templeton to nine kicks, but he still managed six goals with limited opportunities. Um, now, off the field in July, following a two-day board meeting, Dick Collison finally resigned as president, stating medical reasons, <laughs> always is. Charlie Sutton installed as the new president. Oh, okay. Uh, the Dogs controlled their round 16 match against Essendon at Waverley. Alan Stoneham was huge with 35 disposals. Dogs won by 21. In round 19 at Victoria Park, Calvin Templeton kicked his 100th goal on a wet and muddy day. It was actually his 100th goal was the hardest to kick because he missed easier ones. People did run out on the ground to celebrate, but not many because it was Victoria Park. The Dogs, however, lost that game by 16 points. And by kicking 100 goals, he became the youngest ever to kick 100 goals in a season at the age of 19, I believe. Wow, that's amazing. And here's a little bit of audio of him reflecting on that. Runs in, has a shot, and I think he's done it. There it is, Kelvin Templeton, 100 goals. It took a while. I was quite nervous today. You know, I, I didn't think I'd be, but uh, unfortunately I was. You know, there was a bit of pressure on me, and uh, you know, there was always people remind me of it during the week, and so probably I couldn't help but think of it before the game a bit. Um, and that was Dogs' season. They lost their last six games. Mm. So not a good end to the season. Uh, Calvin Templeton, though, averaged 5.62 goals a game. Huge in a team that's finished second last. Yeah. Like yeah. incredible. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, massive. So obviously he was their lead goal kicker with 118 for the season. Um, next closest was Ted Whitten with 27. Hmm. So there was really one, only one avenue to goal yeah. uh, down at Footscray. Maybe that was what, what mucked him up in the end. And the Charlie Sutton uh, medal in 1978 went to Kelvin Templeton. Of course it did. How could it not? Yeah. So moving up that ladder to 10th place, Timmy, both our teams not faring that well this season with Essendon in 10th. Eight wins, 14 losses, and 94.3%. Uh, coached by 
Barry Davis and captain by Ken Fletcher. Yes. Um, but still building that Baby Bombers mm-hmm. team with uh, Michael Seddon, Michael Reddenbach, and Big Roger Merritt making yes. their debuts. Yes, huge. So, uh, Roger Mer- Merritt from Caniva in the west of the Wimmera. He endured an extended apprenticeship, which saw him start uh, 21 of his first 62 ca- games for the club on the bench. Uh, once he established himself, however, he became a fulcrum for the bomber attack. And at six foot five, he was a full forward slash ruckman who later became a star at the Bears. Absolutely. He certainly did. Mm. In our pre-season, Paul Vanderhaar had a trail bike accident and would miss the first five matches. Oh, wow. That's not an injury you hear much about. Um, pre-season, the Bombers cleared Neville Fields to Sydney for the cost of $15,000 a year. In return, the Bombers got Terry Danaher and the rights to Neil Danaher, mm, whatever good. he decided to play. I'll talk a bit more about this when we get to South, but yeah, it's an interesting deal. Yeah. Uh, round one, they took on the Swans at Windy Hill, and Danaher started like a future star he would become. His best moment came in the third quarter when the Swans were mounting a comeback. He took two big pack marks and kicked two goals to end their comeback. On the other side of the, the uh, ledger, ex-bomber Neville Fields had a dirty day. He was dragged at three-quarter time. Done to by 22. Round three, it was Terry Danaher again who lifted the Bombers against the Lions. Trailing by two points at three-quarter time, he was moved to th- full forward and was the match winner with three goals. The Bombers won by four points after Gary, Gary Wilson's late shot on goal shaved the goal padding on the way through. Taking on the Blues in round four, uh, Carlton took the initiative early and played very well, not allowing the enthusiastic Bombers to get into the game. But it was short-lived. Essendon gained the upper hand late in the third quarter and they ran away with the game in the last. The Bombers' final tally of 19 goals, 17, 131 was their best at VFL Park. Primer was seven, Jeff Burdett with five. Round six was Vanderhaar's comeback game. Uh, the Tigers were also celebrating Kevin Bartlett's 250th. Uh, and they controlled the first three quarters to lead by 29 points at three-quarter time. But in that last quarter, Charlie, the Bombers kicked nine goals six to one goal four to win by 21 points. Vanderhaar kicking three in his comeback, Wayne Primer with seven. These final quarters this year are outrageous. It's the opposite of Melbourne, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the following week, round seven, they lost a spiteful game to the Saints by six points. Two players, Merv Neagle and Terry Carhill, were severely hurt. Neagle was concussed and Cahill received a chop to the neck. In this incident, he swallowed his tongue, and trainer Bill Cox had to actually pull it out so he could breathe. Jeez. The chief antagonist for St Kilda? Ditterich. Oh, Ditterich. Of course it is. Post-game, Essendon president Colin Stubbs stood, out, stood up on a bench and declared that St Kilda played like a bunch of animals. And I'm pretty certain that's probably where the uh, term at the animal enclosure has come from. Oh, really? Um, the Bombers lodged an official complaint with the VFL about Ditterich. St Kilda lodged a similar complaint against Stubbs following his comments. Uh, it took a few weeks for this to kind of sort itself out, but the issue was sorted out by the VFL in the end, and nothing was kind of nothing really. Nothing formal done. happened. No, no. Everyone just apologised behind doors exactly. and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Moved on. Um, Essendon took advantage of Geelong's inability to play in the wet in round eight with a 16-point win on a slushy windy hill. Essendon's gamble of kicking into the wind worked as they kicked three quick goals against it and then four with the wind to take a 10-point half-time lead. They backed this up in the second half. They run out 16-point winners. Kenny Fletcher was best on ground with 35 disposals and seven marks. In round nine, the Ds stayed with the Bombers for a quarter and then Essendon powered away, eventually running out seven goal winners. Chairman of Selectors Ted Fordham was fined $300 by the league for abusing umpire Sawyers in this game. Um, but following this, the Bombers sat third on the ladder and Davis declared they were serious flag contenders and they would get the double chance. 
Oh, jeez. <laughs> Round 11, in a loss to the Hawks, Ronnie Andrews received a severe knee injury that put him out for the season. Round 12, they took on South at Lakeside Oval and TD Terry Danaher lined up at full forward on a former teammate and 300-gamer John Rantel. Danaher finished with the sealer to give the Dons a 23-point win. Timmy Watson also fantastic with five goals. In round 14 at Windy Hill, Essendon came from 22 points down at three-quarter time to storm all over Carlton, Primer with four goals and Burdett with three. Rod Galt fumbled a handball over the top in the dying minutes, which would have given Carlton the lead, but the Dons ended up winning by seven. Um, however, this game proved to be the last win for the year by the Bombers. They lost their last eight games to fall out of finals contention. Oh, that stings. The third last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From third to third last. Yeah, that's not fun. Oh, Killer. The lead goal kicker down at the Dons this year was Wayne Primer with 47. Primer? I kept saying Primer. It's probably Primer, isn't it? Uh, oh, Double, double M? M? Yeah, yeah Primer. Primer. Yeah. Yep. Apologies, and, Wayne. <laughs> and the Crichton medal in 78 went to the captain, Ken Fletcher. So uh, moving up to ninth spot on the ladder, we've got Fitzroy. Those Lions with eight wins, 14 losses as well, but a slightly better percentage than the Dons of 96.5%. Captain this year by Harvey Merrigan and coached by Graham Campbell. Yes. Debutants include Graham Bucks, Grant Laurie, Noel Mugovan, um, and a player we, we mentioned in our 1,000 goal special, Reno Preto. Preto. He played one game for the Lions in 78, but then moved to the VFA and proceeded to kick 1,070 goals in 221 games. Wow. Mm. That's big. Reno. Yeah. Uh, the Lions lost their first three matches in close games, but Gary Wilson was dominating across those three games. Um, round two, even though they lost, I just wanted to mention Bob Beecroft's nine-goal haul. Um, round four, though, coming into this game against the Swans, uh, John Murphy was trying to gain a clearance, and I'll talk more about this in a second, but the Lions defeated the Swans by four goals earlier in a night competition because the night competition happened. Oh, yeah, of time. course. So they beat them four days early and then played them again. Royce was six goals down in the third quarter, but they turned on one of their best quarters they'd seen in a long time, kicking 10 goals seven, two goals four in the last. They took the lead in time on and booted three goals late to win by 19. Beercroft kicked 10, Wilson seven. Um, and Beacroft's 10 goals is a club record at Junction Oval. Imagine playing the same team within four days. Huge. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, I mentioned before, John Murphy, champion Fitzroy player, had gone to the appeal bo- appeals board in April to seek a clearance to South Melbourne. Fitzroy said no. And the ensuing affair set a template for future in which the club was constantly battling to retain the service of its, services of its brightest stars. Fitzroy wanted 90000 for Murphy and South offered 10000 <laughs> South later said their ceiling was 35000 Murphy told the age that Fitzroy had wrecked his football life and he would never go back to the club and would head to Adelaide. The following Saturday, Murphy sat on the South bench next to coach Des Tuddenham and watched Fitzroy beat the team he wanted to join. As the saga dragged on, Murphy met with Norwood officials, but the meeting in which AFL boss Alan Aylett and general manager Jack Hamilton uh, acted as conduits between Fitzroy and South to end the disagreement and a cash settlement was reached estimated between thirty-five and 40000 And a player swap. South got Murphy and the Roys gained John Blair. Earlier in the negotiations as well, it's interesting that South had placed the names of Blair, Norm Goss and 20-year-old Terry Danaher on the negotiation table. Ah. Mm. So D- Danaher could have been a Fitzroy man. He could have. Um, in the aftermath of that, the Alliance also brought in Bernie Quinlan. They got, a, they got him from Footscray for $50,000. And he was given Murphy's old number five jersey. 
Similar, actually, Murph, uh, Quinlan was trying to fight for a clearance from Footscray at the same time, and he threatened to go and play for Sandringham in the VFA. That's <laughs> all happening. Anyway, following that match, Murphy was cleared. Um, the line... I just said all that. Um, round five then was a superb win over the Hawks in a game that was close throughout with barely more than the kick in it. Brown and Wilson were best for the Lions. Beecroft kicked four as the Lions won by a point despite four less scoring shots. Now, around this time, they picked up another new player. They contacted Robert Walls. Oh. Yes. So Walls recounted that Graham Campbell came out to his home and said that he had a team of kids and they'd love him to come and join them there. So he joined them from round nine, which was a loss to Footscray onwards. And I'll talk a bit more about why Robert Walls left Carlton when we get to Carlton. Yes. Yeah. Round 12, the Lions finally ended the run of six consecutive losses and jumped off the bottom of the ladder. Perhaps inspired by their midweek night premiership success, the Lions form carried over into their round 12 game against the Saints. Wilson, Walls, Quinlan and McMahon were, divisive, dis, were decisive in the victory and five goals in the first eight minutes of the final term ensured the win. Ron Carter in the age even speculated that Fitzroy could still make the five given they were only three games behind the fifth team. That's a fair way back. But. Yeah. Round 13, they demolished bottom side Melbourne but stayed 11th on the ladder. Um, nevertheless, the age continued to spruik their chances at, uh, at making the five. McMahon started with 27 disposals and two goals. Irwin gained 29 disposals and kicked five. Wilson, 31 disposals. So they got some decent yeah. players here. Um, round 15, they earned an 18-point win over the Bombers at Junction Oval, leading by 47 points at half-time, uh, which for some reason was the time the Bombers' cheer squad decided to unfurl their banner. So they unfurled their banner at half-time. I don't know why. Intended as an insult for the Lions, it was really only laughed at as the Lions had all the ascendancy. Yeah. Gary Wilson was again great for the Lions, as was new recruit Robert Walls. Surely the Bombers' cheer squad would just go, no, nah, that, that joke's not going to work. Let's not open up the cheer squad, the banner. Doesn't seem like a great idea. No. Round 16, the Lions made it four out of five by defeating top side and eventual Premier Hawthorne for the second time, both by a point. Robert Walls capped off a superb game with 19 disposals, eight marks and three goals by nailing the winning goal with only two minutes left. Quinlan kicked six despite playing with a strained left shoulder ligaments and Wilson dominated with 31 points. Um, in round 20, the Roys climbed to 10th on the ladder after belting fellow strugglers Footscray. Wilson with 24 disposals and five goals. Uh, but there was rumours that Campbell would likely depart at the end of the season. Round 21, the Roys came from 52 points down to end the finals hopes of 7th seventh, seventh place Richmond. 52 points, John. <laughs> Rover Gary Wilson was best on ground with 35 disposals and three goals. Um, former North Melbourne full forward Joe Fraser was replaced, who replaced the injured Bob Beercroft, kicked a remarkable nine goals despite not touching the ball until halfway through the second quarter. <laughs> what? Now, here's some more interesting information I found. In July of 1978, Fitzroy was considering a move to play home games in Sydney. Hey, okay. Games that would be eventually be broadcast live on Sundays. Uh, Mike Sheehan and Peter McFarlane reported in the age that faced with a deficit of $150,000 this year, top-ranking club officials hoped to play the games at Sydney Cricket Ground on Sundays with live television in Melbourne. Obviously, this didn't end up happening. The members caught wind of it and there was a massive outrage and they kind of they pulled back and said, oh, no, it's not happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this kind of did, I guess this sparked Alan Aylett's interest in... You know, in moving. Let's get a team in, in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Um, alternates discussed for, Sid, for... Alternatives discussed by Fitzroy included sharing Junction Oval, moving their home games to either Collingwood, North Melbourne or South Melbourne, or shifting to Waverley Park. Um, the recruiting of Walls and Quinlan was also a big factor in the deficit of $150,000. 
Uh, but Fitzroy rebuilt the team and at least offered a compelling product to prospective supporters and members. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that in the coming years. Yep. Um, now, at the end of 1978, despite coaching the team for the preseason cup, or the night, I guess the night cup, Graham Campbell in- indicated that he would return to Perth to be with his family. Huh. There was some suggestion that he could fly back and forth, um, and he kind of trialled that for a little bit. But he seems crazy to yeah. fly back and forth from Perth every week. Every week, it just <laughs> nah. nah. Uh, so that ended Fitzroy's season. They didn't. You know, they had that chance of making finals, but petered out. Petered out. Lost yeah. their well, lost their last game. But what did they finish? Ninth. Ninth. Yeah. Gary Wilson, though enormous, he won the Age Footballer of the Year award. Yeah, and uh, like good signs, like with the names you were just saying at the club, it's it's looking good for them. So the lead goal kicker was Bob Beecroft, even though he did miss a couple of games with sixty five. Gary Wilson second with forty one, and the Mitchell Medal in uh, nineteen seventy eight went to Gary Wilson for the third time. Mm. Yeah, not bad. So sliding up that ladder to eighth spot. We have the Bloods, South Melbourne, with one more win, nine wins, 13 losses, and 100.3% this year, captained by Ricky Quaid and coached by Desi Tudnam. Yes. Uh, Debutants include Bernie Evans, Graham Fox, Michael Wright, Philip Plum, and a player by the name of Tony Morwood. Yes, so Tony Morwood, uh, an accomplished all-round footballer who was capable of the odd flash of match-winning brilliance. Slim uh, slim build, he was excellent overhead and possessed plenty of pace. Much of his football was played on the half-forward flank where he displayed a very keen goal sense. Yeah. Um, other players we've got uh, Max James from Port Adelaide in the Sandville and Port Adelaide, uh, Port Melbourne's Bernie Evans. So Ian Stewart was poached by Carlton because they were very impressed with him getting south into the finals in 77. Yep. Uh, so Desi Tudnam came in, obviously. Neil Curley also flew from Adelaide to apply for the job. Oh, okay. Didn't get the job, but uh, interesting they flew him over. Now, South had their eyes on 135 gamer Neville Fields from the Bombers. And a bit like Richmond had done with Petrua, they just wanted him no matter the cost. And the cost Weird. was Terry Danaher and the rights to his, I think it was 16-year-old brother at the time, Neil, because Danaher Senior had said, well, you know, we want to have our... Our boys together. Team. Yeah, so... You, that it's got it's, to be a, a, deal it's a package. Yeah. Um, so they had the rights to Neil. They, they auctioned off the rights to Neil when he wanted to play. Amazing. Yeah, which, I mean, at, the, at that time, they would have been like, ah. Why not? Yeah. Um, they also cleared former North Premiership player Barry Goodingham to Adelaide and Norm Goss to Hawthorne. So they've got a, they got rid of a few good players here. Round one loss to the Bombers showed how foolish they'd been in trading away down to her, as, as we talked about. Yeah. Round three, however, was their first win of the season, a surprise 17-point win over the Magpies at Lakeside Oval. Despite missing their captain, Quaid, and several other key players, the Pies came into the game expecting to win. But the Swans controlled the game from the first goal of John Blair's to the final goal by Michael Wright. The result was never in doubt. Collingwood's defence was labelled arrogant and cocky, which caused Tom Hafey to describe their effort as disgusting. <laughs> Um, now, we talked about the clearance wrangle with John Murphy, who wanted to come. Yes. Um, he finally came in round five for the match against Carlton. During this game, John Scarlett was knocked down. His jaw was actually broken against Carlton. He received the free kick. However, he take, took his time to get back to his feet, and the umpire forgets it's a free kick and went to ball up the ball. Scarlett argues with him and then gives away the free kick for arguing, and Carlton get the free kick. Stop. Yeah. it's on. Uh, that was the season it was. Ridiculous. They managed to get a one-point win. 
other injuries though from this game include Quaid straining a thigh and best on ground John Murphy being whacked behind play. But that didn't do John Murphy any. It didn't uh, keep him off his game because yep. he was back to be best on ground against the Swan, for the Swans the next week against the Dogs. He kicked six goals for, with uh, 25 disposals. Uh, the other factor was the eight goals the Swans kicked in the last quarter to win by 18 points. Now, in a round seven game of sheer brilliance, the Swans reduced the Saints to a motley collection of undisciplined duffers. <laughs> that's, that's the age quote. Um, the Pacey Swans were without Captain Quaid, who was a late withdrawal, but they didn't need him as they held the Saints to four goals as they romped to a 99-point win. Peter Morrison dominant with 35 disposals, 13 marks and three goals three. Round 10. In the Queen's birthday clash at Lakeside Oval, the Swans showed no mercy against the Demons, although Melbourne started brightly with a six-goal first quarter and went to the long break... Uh, even at three-quarter time, they were 13 points behind, and in front of a great, in front of the great Laurie Nash, the Swans put together one of their greatest final terms. They kicked 11 goals, five to rack up their all-time highest score in the VFL: 24, 18, 162 to win by 70 points. He was just in the in the crowd, just yelling, "Do what I did!" Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Fields with five, O'Neill with four. Uh, round 14, the Swans easily beat the Lions by 50. In round 17, they were too good for the Dogs. Um, and Des Tudnam gave the players a finals or nothing blast at three-quarter time. Swans by 27 points. Round 18, they were able to end the Tigers' winning streak with a 23-point win, although the Tigers continued to challenge them each time the Swans kicked away, eventually winning by 23. In the lead-up to round 20, star Swan Barry Brown was in hospital with a poisoned arm. However, he still took his place in the side. The result of the match saw finals hinge on the result, and they, the patched together Swans couldn't quite keep up, going down by two goals despite Stuart Gull's eight. Ah. And that loss in round 20, end of their season, uh, they lost their last, their next two as well. So they lost their last four to, uh, to disappointingly miss out on, on, on finals. On finals, yeah. After being so uh, Up excited to make it last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the lead goal kicker down at South this year was John Murphy with 31. So after coming in, he, he definitely put his mark on the side. And the Bobby Skilton medal in 78 also went to John Murphy. Yeah, coming in, missing the first four games. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah, not bad at That's all. why you get him in. Yeah, absolutely. And why uh, Footscray didn't want to lose him. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Uh, so moving up to seventh spot, we have Richmond. The Tigers had 10 wins, one draw and 11 losses and 102.9%. Uh, coached by Barry Richardson and captained by Kevin Sheedy. Yes. Um, debutants include John Einsiedel, Greg Strawn, Stephen Roach, Philip Bottoms, Jeff Berry, Colin Waterson, and Dale Waitman. Dale Waitman, yes. The Flea. Yes. The Flea, as he was affectionately known. He was recruited from the Mildura Imperials to Richmond's under-19s team in 77. He was recognised as one of the finest rovers of his era with his aggression, courage, evasive skills and constructive handballing being key features of his play. Um, Yep, so you said... Sheedy would place Burke as captain. Yes. KB is now vice. Tony Jewell has been brought in to coach the reserves. Tigers started the season on the right note with a big win over enemy Carlton. The final margin, 77 points. Carlton never really given a sniff. The dynamic duo of Alan Edwards and David Cloak up forward amassed seven goals each. The next week, the North did the same thing to them, absolutely pummeling them. Round three, they had a disappointing draw with St Kilda and probably should have won when Peter Lachlan was going towards goals as the siren sounded. 
Sadly, on April 19th, Jack Titus, Richmond's greatest goal kicker, died in the doorway of the Limerick Castle Hotel in Errol Street after ejecting a patron from the hotel. He was 70. Ugh. Round five, in the Anzac Day clash with the Demons, it was the Richmond veterans who drove them to a massive win with a second-half landslide. Melbourne should have led it a long break but went in two points behind. Despite Richmond coming off a three-day break, they showed no signs of fatigue. And with Bruce Montez kicking all six of his goals in the second half, they were irresistible. Despite rain, they won by 71. Mm. In round 10, they beat the Lions by a goal at the MCG and then smashed the Dogs by 58 at the same venue a week later. In round 13, the Tigers embarrassed the Kangaroos, whose form was now wavering. Barn with six and Cloak with five led the Tigers' goal spree, while Jeff Range was best in the middle. Tigers kicked 21-16-142 in that game. They controlled their round 15 game against the Saints right from the start, leading 8-3 to one point at the 19-minute mark of the first quarter and by 58 points at the first break. And that was basically the story of the game, winning eventually by 54. Cloak with five, KB with 29 disposals, six marks, two goals. Round 16 against the Ds. After the first 15 minutes, it seemed like the form book had been tossed out the window. Melbourne had kicked six goals, one to the Ds, three behinds. Hmm. Do you want me to stop there? Yeah. <laughs> but it was too Please. good to be true. The D took their foot off the gas, allowing the Tigers to hit back with three goals. D still led by 19 points at the first change, but the tide had started to turn in Richmond's favour. The Demons managed to hold on to a 14 point lead at half time. The Tigers, sprayed by their coach Barry Richardson at the main break, came out with a renewed vigour and end of the game 28 point winners. In round 17 at the MCG, Richmond's defence easily overcame an inexperienced Essendon forward line to help propel the Tigers to a fifth straight win, this time by 40 points to consolidate their spot in the top five. Bartlett back to his best with four goals and 27 disposals. Round 21, they blew a 53-point lead against the Lions and lost by 17. After that five-game winning streak, they lost four in a row, which mm. all ended their chances of finals. Fun, yep. Tigers finished the season with a strong win over the Dogs at Waverley. KB was best on ground with 6-5 and 32 disposals. Dale Waitman also good. Um, a report sent to members post-season said, somewhere we lost our purpose. We lost our momentum. We lost our winning formula. We became fat from our success and lazy. Good so they're recognising it. Sums it up nicely. Yeah. Uh, and then on the 14th of September, Barry Richardson was sacked by, co- by sacked as Richmond coach. Jeez, so two years out of Barry. Yeah. Didn't no finals. You're out. No. Yep. They didn't realise how good they had it. Fat. Anyway. Fat and lazy. That's it. Uh, so Richmond this year, the leading goal kicker Bruce Monteith, who comes no surprise, with 55, and the Jack Dyer medal in '78 went to Jeff Raines. Uh, for the first time. Yes, well, he's, he is the reigning uh, retrospective Rising Star Award winner as well. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, spoilers, <laughs> mate. What's going no, on? It's last, last oh, episode. oh, sorry, last episode. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, so moving up to our final non-finalist, in sixth spot we have the Saints, just missing out, uh, with 11 wins, one draw, and 10 losses. And a percentage, a very poor percentage, of 93.1%. Considering they finished Wooden Spoon last year, this is a pretty good turnaround. Absolutely. Um, very good. Debutants include Don Disher, Mordecai Bromberg, Garam Jelly. Great. Grant Thomas. Oh, yeah. Ian Satori, Michael Roberts, and Gary Sidebottom. Yes, let me talk about Gary Sidebottom. But before I do, let me just mention the captain this year was Gary Collins and the coach was Mike Patterson. Uh, so, Gary Sidebottom, uh, a powerful and fearless player, ideal for playing at centre-half forward or as a ruckman. 
He was a very versatile forward who was good in the air and good in the air and hard in the clinches. Um, he began his career with the Swan Districts, where he won the Best and Ferris Awards in in 1976, as well as state selection in every year between 74 and 80. Nice. Um, Gary Colling as, as captain as well. Surprise choice when Gitterich stood down. Yes. So I wasn't expecting it. Um, new coach Mike Patterson. Do you know what his nickname is? No. The, swamp, the swamp Fox. Nice. Um, he was able to conceal the team's That's lack of... That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Um, he was able to conceal the team's lack of pace by using the handball skills of new recruits, Sidebottom and Jelly. Um, round one, there wasn't much in the opening match between St Kilda and Fitzroy, but St Kilda's greater strength gave them the ed- edge. Uh, Perovic, Saru and Sidebottom all making strong, marking strongly and kicking well in an eight-point win. Round two was another good win, this time by seven points over the Dogs in a high-scoring affair. Rex Hunt was seven, George Young was six. Round three was a draw with the Tigers. Diderich reported for the 14th time for striking Gingers. Um, 14th time. Footage from the game also includes uh, him pulling Tiger Alan Edwards' jockstrap up and breaking it. <laughs> the key to the Saints' round five victory over the Cats was their third quarter, where they more than doubled their own score while keeping the Cats scoreless. And although the Saints didn't score in the last quarter, they still won by 33 points. Round six was a remarkable match against the Demons. The Saints were dominant, and from the 26th mark of the first, first quarter, the Saints piled on 14 goals to none in an awesome display of attacking power, which left the Demons standing around like witches' hats. 78 points down at the break, uh, Dennis Jones' spray helped them to a win in the third quarter, and that cut the margin to 45 points. The combined goal tally of the sides is one of only two 52-goal games in VFL-AFL history. The Saints score of 31 goals, 18, 204 is the third highest ever conceded by the Demons. And the aggregate score for the game, 345, is the highest ever. Wow. It so we had two ridiculous scores this year. Yeah. That other game you the, mentioned. The dogs beating the Saints. Yeah. 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 Huge. Um, it remains the only time St Kilda have topped 200 points in a match. Only time ever. Yep. Wow. George Young kicked seven, Russell Green with five. Round seven, the Saints won a spiteful affair against Essendon. We discussed this earlier. The Saints won by a goal. George Young kicked five. Graham Jelly, uh, best on ground. Diderich was not reported over the KL incident but was found not, and was found not guilty of striking Simon Madden. Sidebottom, however, copped their four-match suspension. Um, but the way the Bombers labelled the Saints as animals was really highlighted by the media and they subsequently lost their next six games by a combined 400 points. So oh, wow. they've been playing with this real edge and real... Intensity and that kind of like was a big punch in the guts for them and yeah. really deflated them. So they're sort of like, do, did they step over the edge though? Like there's a certain... There's it's the 70s, every, every team's yeah, yeah. playing like that. Yeah. yeah. But if you've been called animals in the 70s, I mean, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, round 10, Rex Hunt was unable to play against the Pies as police duties got in the way, just as well the Pies won. Diderich was again in the news, this time for striking the Pies' chain bond. Big Carr was so upset he left the game ground as soon as the game was over, his football gear strewn all over the change rooms. In the week that followed, Diderich failed to show up at the tribunal appearance. As well as shocking the Saints with a telegram notifying them of his retirement, he was furious with the treatment he'd received from the umpires, with six trips to the tribunal in the last 20 games. He was also upset with the lack of support the club had given him after the Essendon game. Mm. Now, the reason he didn't go to the tribunal was his car was bogged near his country retreat near Yellingbo, <laughs> which is 90 k's east of Melbourne. When he, eventually, when he eventually fronted the tribunal, he was cleared. It took two weeks for him to reconcile everything. Um, 
So he was back in round 12 for the match against Fitzroy, but he didn't help the Saints' cause as they lost again. Uh, Round 13, the Saints conceded 213 points in a big loss to the Dogs. However, the following week, they took on reigning Premier North Melbourne at Arden Street. The Saints jumped the Roos early and took a 37-point lead into the three-quarter time break. But the Roos staged a massive comeback and hit the front in time on. The ball was taken from the bounce by St Kilda and marked on the half-forward flank by Elliott, um, about 50 metres from goal. As he walked back to take his kick into a strong headwind, the siren sounded and hundreds of fans ran onto the field. He went back and took his kick and the ball went through for a goal and the Saints won. Or did they? Angry Ruse fans mobbed the goal umpire, Eric Brewer, as he was escorted from the ground um, because they believe he, the, the ball had actually gone through for a point. What? Yeah, so let, let's, let me just finish this off. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had to be escorted from the ground by 14 police on foot and, ho- and horseback. Mobbed by players and spectators, Brewer had to wait for police to clear a path for goal umpire Glenn James before he could signal a goal. North defender Gary Cowton had to be restrained by the Kangaroos team manager John Curtin and a trainer as he remonstrated with Brewer for more than 30 metres as the besieged umpire headed for the race. North players believed the ball had been touched by ruckman Stephen McCann. Uh. Not only that, they reckoned McCann had hit the ball through the behind scoring area. Hmm. So not only one but two things. I mean, really... Yeah. Interesting. No, I mean, to lose by 106 points one week and then win against the reigning premiers next week, well done, St Kilda. Yeah, um, absolutely. Round 17 at Moorabbin, Melbourne led St Kilda 46 to nothing after 23 minutes of the first term. St Kilda got the last three goals in the first quarter and from there it was all Saints with Jeff Saru moving from ruck to full forward and kicking seven goals and the home side banging on 17-21 to 6-5 for the rest of the game to win by 52 points. Ugh. Come on, Tease. <laughs> Round 18, the Saints started against the Bombers well with an 8-goal to 3 blitz in the opening quarter and won by 39. Rex Hunt and Jeff Saru with 4 each. Garam Jelly also prominent. Round 19 against the Swans, the Saints goal-kicker, goal-kicking star George Young was sidelined with the mumps. So in came Gary Lofts to take his spot and he starred, kicking 7 goals in a match-winning performance. The defence held the Swans to just 3 goals for the game. Saints by 42. Round 20, the Saints smothered the Hawks, not allowing them to play their own game. Diderich and Sidebottom wore down the Hawks' sole ruckman Don Scott en route to a 56-point win. Trevor Barker also prominent. Now, the Saints were actually slim finals chances going into the final round, needing the Lions to beat the Cats, and they had to beat the Blues. The Saints absolutely tore into the Blues. Uh, to quote Russell Holmesby again, relentless tackling, blistering pace, and teamwork were the order of the day. Robbie Muir was back after 12 weeks and was devastating the opening term with his attack on the ball. The Saints ran out 40-point winners, and footage of this game includes Rex Hunt signalling with the goal umpire, <laughs> um, and also Robert Muir punching uh, Dennis Collins is one of those famous ones you'd probably recognise. Yeah. Um, but the Lions just couldn't beat the Cats, and so the Saints missed the finals. Um, but a pretty good season by the Saints, considering they were wooden spooners last year. Yeah, absolutely. Only just missing out. Yeah. Uh, not bad at all. So George Young was their lead goal kicker for the year with 70 from 19 games. And the Trevor Barker Award in 78 went to Graham Jelly. Young man. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not bad at all from our non-finalists there this year. Not at all. Keep things interesting, they do. Now will we go through the night series really quickly? Yeah, let's do it.
Right, um, now the escort cup also happened, Charlie, but this was the one that the NFL, the National Football League put on. Oh, yep. The VFL was not a part of, the VFA was actually part of this. So is this the, the Wills Cup, the original, the, the, that, the one that's now become yes, that? Yes, it was yeah. the Wills Cup, the RDAF Cup, and now it's the escort cup. Yeah. You know, they like to change the names. They the certainly do. Um, so they've got teams from the Sandfall, the Waffle, the VFA, and they've got Tassie, Queensland, New South Wales, and ACT state, t- state game, uh, teams playing. Series consisted of four rounds, all played on a knockout basis. Unlike the previous year, there was no longer a qualifying stage, so all teams entered the competition in the first round. Um, and very quickly, I'll just tell you the results of that. The winner of that was South Adelaide defeating Glenelg by 37 points in the final. The best Victorian-based team was Port Melbourne, who made it all the way to the semis. Um, and Perth made it also to the semis. So dominated by South Australia there. Nice. So let's let me talk about the uh, the night premiership for the uh, VFL this year, Timmy. The Amco Herald Herald Cup again uh, was played between uh, well between March and May and June, um, which so very early in the season, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so we've got. Uh, in our first games we've got Collingwood versus South Melbourne. Uh, South Melbourne. Absolutely steaming away. All of these played at um, Waverley, I should say. Yeah. Um, North Melbourne defeating Footscray. Carlton defeating Geelong. Fitzroy defeating Tasmania. Yeah. Yeah, which we'll, we'll talk about. Richmond defeating Essendon. And St Kilda defeating Melbourne. Now, Geelong didn't... Uh, Geelong got through there, even though they lost because they were the losing team with the highest percentage. And Hawthorne... Uh, went directly into quarterfinals because they won last year. Seems strange. Mm. Anyway, so that moves us up to quarterfinals where Geelong beat Hawthorne. So the losers, the first losers beat the team with the bye. Yeah. Uh, Fitzroy beat South, Richmond beat Carlton and North beat St Kilda. Uh, the semis were Fitzroy-Richmond where Fitzroy won in a quite a close match. Well, it was Fitzroy's to lose and then Richmond started coming back and it started getting a bit tighter. And then North Melbourne won um, against Geelong, even though Geelong uh, were in the lead there at three-quarter time. So the grand final was between Fitzroy and North Melbourne. Which I'll point out to you were also the team sitting top and bottom of the ladder at that, time, that stage yeah, of the season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and... Fitzroy absolutely demolished North Melbourne in this game. Uh, started started pretty similarly at the quarter break. Fitzroy up by only two points. Both teams kicking two goals and a, a few points in that first quarter. But then it just kept on kept on getting wider and wider. The third quarter really told told the story. Fitzroy kicked seven goals, eight to North Melbourne's single point. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, another three goals in the last quarter for Fitzroy and an- only another two points to North Melbourne meant that the final score was North Melbourne's 2-8-20 to Fitzroy's 13-18-96. Yep. Huge. Yep. Lovely. So Tasmania included in this as well, the first VFL night series to involve a non-VFL team. Yeah. Um, and they had players like Paul Hud- uh, Peter Hudson, Barry Lawrence, Ian Brenner... I think it's Ian Brenner. They had a few stars playing for them. Definitely Peter Hudson. Yeah, surprising that they didn't actually do a little bit better there. 
Do we know why Tasmania played? So obviously we know that last year there was a bit of a breakaway. The VFL um, didn't want wanted to basically reap the benefits for themselves. Yeah. And even though that happened, the NFL remained hopeful that they could convince the VFL to come back, uh, enabling a full national competition. Um, they proposed a knockout series of 32 teams, so the 12 VFL teams, six Sandful, five Waffle, three Tassie teams, one from each of the leagues, yep. two VFA teams, and four state representative teams. That would have been awesome. Wouldn't it? Sounds great. Oh. Um, and they were saying, in addition to the usual venues of Adel- in Adelaide, Perth and Melbourne, some matches would also be played in Papua New Guinea, New Zealand and Darwin to promote Australian football. Oh, what a great I idea. think they just need to pull this out and, and re- try again. Yeah. Um, but the VFL rejected these plans and proposed that the last 15 games of the series should be played at Waverley. Yeah. And also they refused to participate if the VFA was involved and didn't see any need for the amateurs to be included. Yeah. So it was very much, yeah, we'll be there, but it's got to be on completely our terms. Absolutely. And, and, and it was mentioned by the general manager of the NFL, Keith Webb, who said the VFL is trying to get all the NFL participants into a VFL-run competition. Yeah. Yeah, which they were. Yeah. Um, but the NFL is a national body, and as such, it should run the national competition, not a state body. I mean... Absolutely. Very true. Absolutely. Um, the Sandful and the Waffle rejected these proposals and the standoff continued. However, as we heard, the first signs of a breakaway appeared with the Tassie uh, League choosing to participate in both the NFL and the VFL competitions. Uh, yeah. So they went... They sort of went head-to-head same, at the same time and on two occasions, games were played in the same city on the same night. Wow. So on the 9th of May, we had Geelong versus Hawthorne as the VFL night series, yeah. drawing a crowd of eight, eight and a bit thousand. And then we had Port Melbourne versus New South Wales at Lake Oval, Lake Oval drawing 3,600. Uh, similar on the other date, Fitzroy versus Richmond at VFL Park drew 8,000. Sandy versus the ACT at Lake Oval drew a crowd of 2,600. I know what game I would rather go and watch. Well, you out of those live two. New South Melbourne, so of course you'd be going to Lakeside Oval. No, but Port, Port Melbourne versus New South Wales. Oh, yeah. Like, or Sandy versus more, ACT. Far more interesting, right? Is it? Well, interesting. As a spectacle. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. So interesting, isn't it? Yeah. The, um, especially the way the VFL is kind of manoeuvring themselves. They to be the national control. competition yep. already. Yep. That, and that's, this is definitely part of yeah. it. Yeah. And they're really, they're really pushing their, yeah, we are the premier league of this country. And, and they are. Yeah. But they're, they're no longer... Control. They want to have their fingers in all the pies. It's no longer like a, we want to beat the VFA. It's we want to beat everyone. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. We're definitely inching towards the national competition now, aren't we? Aren't we just? Going yeah. speed. So that's us for uh, for the start of 78, Timmy. Yeah, join us next week when yeah. we, uh, we go through the top five and we... Uh, we talk finals. Talk finals. Can't wait. Yep. See you then. Hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.